0: Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church family. My name is Craig. Thanks, Janice. If you are a human being in this room, not yet in fifth grade, there's a very exuberant young man back there. Pastor Mark, he would love to take you to Children's Church. So kids, kindergarten to fifth grade, go see Pastor Mark. He would love to take you to Children's Church. For the rest of us, if you could turn to the person to your left and turn to the person to your right and tell them you're glad they're here. How bad. That wasn't bad. Yeah, thank you. Has anybody ever had a hard time knowing what it is we really need? Like not what you want, like oh I would really I would just, my life would be so great if I just had not what you want, but what it is we really need. Like oh man, I really just need in order for me to be good at my career, I just need my coworkers respect. Man, mean, I just need my kids to call, right? I just, I just need these things. It's really hard to know what, what it is we really need, all right? Just ask Procter & Gamble. Yeah, like the massive corporation, they had to learn the hard way that people have a really hard time recognizing and knowing what it is we really need. There was a meeting in the late 90s where two marketing executives from Procter & Gamble were meeting with a park ranger. And when the meeting was over, the park ranger was crying and the two marketing executives were celebrating. They were super happy. And no, uh, she wasn't crying because they were rude or unkind to her, nothing like that. Uh, But this park ranger had a problem. Uh, She worked in an area of the country that required her to handle skunks. And so uh, there would be campers in the park, and it was one of the, the regular rhythms of her duty was to drive to where the skunks shouldn't be, collect them, put them in her car, and take them to another part of the park, so away from campers. Yeah, so you can imagine her clothes smelled like skunk, her car smelled like skunk, and as a result, her whole life just smelled like a skunk. And this would be like kind of upsetting for any of us, but it was really upsetting for her because she was in a season of her life where she was trying to find a partner. And so she would describe this merry-go-round she was on with dates. So she would take the date out; they'd be out eating. Life would be great, and then a couple minutes into dinner, they would they'd start to get that whiff, right? And she just said, like clockwork, "Oh, the emergency! Uh, there's an emergency! Sorry." And she was alone until the mid to late 90s when these two workers from Procter & Gamble wanted her to test a product that she could spray on her shirt and in a couple minutes it no longer smelled like skunk. This product got me through college and we all know it as Febreze. And she was crying because she knew her life was about to change. And they were happy because they knew they were about to become super rich. And yet when Febreze was introduced to the market, it totally flopped. Nobody bought it. And they would call up testers like, hey, do you remember? Hey, have you been using Febreze? And on the phone, they could hear people rummaging through their like cleaning supplies. Oh yeah, it's way back here. Yeah, we really like that. That works super well. But nobody bought it. Why? Because it's really hard to know what it is we really need. See, if you're the type of person who, let's say, would need Febreze, let's say you have 30 cats. <laughs> no judging, nothing wrong with that. But if you're the type of person who has 30 cats, you're also probably the type of person who has a nose that adjusts to 30 cats. See, that's the thing. We all, all of us adjust. It's really hard to know what we need because we just adjust and we get used to things. So Jesus comes on the scene and says this, I'm teaching you a new way to pray. And we're like, but do we need that? Wasn't the old way of praying just fine? Like, I mean, what, what exactly is it that he's giving us here? It's really hard for us to pray because like, we're not really sure what need prayer is filling. And like, prayer is really hard. We talked about that last week. We want to be really honest about prayer is difficult. If you're in this room and you're saying prayer isn't difficult, I love you. I just don't think you're being honest. Paul, Paul, the guy who wrote half the New Testament, traveled around spreading Christianity all across Asia and Europe, said this, we don't know how to pray. This morning you have permission to join Paul and just admit, yeah, I think prayer is important. I just have no idea how to do it. Part of the reason prayer is so hard is because we're not really sure what prayer is supposed to get done. What are we doing when we pray? What are we doing when we, when we call out to God? What exactly is happening here? So we're going to take a couple weeks. We're going, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount for several months. We're going to take a couple of weeks and we're going to slow down and we're going to really zoom in on the Lord's Prayer. Several theologians say that in the Lord's Prayer, there is this one little phrase, this tiny little phrase that can sum up not just the Lord's Prayer, not just the Sermon on the Mount, but Matthew's Gospel and Jesus' entire mission. Here's that little phrase. On earth... As it is in heaven. Prayer is making a wild claim. Jesus is saying that prayer is not actually about getting answers to your questions, prayer is not actually even about getting stuff done, prayer is about experiencing heaven on earth. That's a wild claim. I promise you I'm not a used car salesman. We're going to unpack that from the passage. But, but prayer is about this. Prayer is about experiencing God's space interacting with our space. Prayer is about learning to be present in God's presence. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read the passage and uh, you're going to help me today. So, um, we're going to read, I'm going to start in verse seven and eight. We're going to read all the way nine to 13, just so we're not all like going crazy and saying different things. It's going to be up on the screen for you to follow along, but here's what we're do. Uh, I'm going to start in verse seven and eight. Then y'all join me. We'll read together. And then one of the habits that we've kind of picked up around these parts is when we're done, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And you all can reply, thanks be to God. Like it's a really big deal that God hasn't left us alone. He doesn't just leave us wandering in the dark, all right? He speaks, and we want to just say thank you for that. So I'm going to start, and you all will join me. This is Matthew chapter 6. I'm starting in verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. God, we need your help. Father, I pray this morning that we would not be persuaded into thinking that prayer is important, but we would be moved. Father, help us not to look for band-aids to real problems. Father, help us to open up ourselves to be present before you and to be aware of your presence because your presence changes everything. ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The other night, uh, Amy and I were out to eat. And uh, as I was coming back from the bathroom, I noticed at the table I was walking, there was a couple, man and a woman, in their 50s. And you already know what they were doing. I don't have to tell you. I Just, just me pointing out this. You already know what they're doing. What were they doing? They're each sitting there. No, they weren't praying. Oh, man. I misread that. Some people said praying. Totally misread that. I totally see why you think that. But yeah, that's not what they're doing. They were on their phones. Thank you. Yeah. We just live in different worlds, I guess. Sorry. Yeah. So they were each texting other people right and i say i point out their age because i no more like oh this is just your generation all right this is all of us we're all in this together it is very difficult to be present it is very difficult to live in the here and now all day every day we are bombarded with messages that the future is uncertain. Coronavirus touches down in Seattle. It's coming for you. There is an, un- And I don't mean to make light of that. It's an uncertain future heading our way. The past is also getting crazy confusing. T- ten weeks ago is ancient history. Meanwhile, we're living in a present that's getting smaller and smaller as the theologian Craig Barnes points out. So like my grandfather, for instance, uh, he just had a high school education and yet he was able to just like spout off like huge chunks of poetry. I, I don't even know if he read that much, but he just lived in the present. A few generations ago, the present was this massive thing. It was like, it was what we had. It was here. It was in front of us. And now it keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's harder for all of us to live right now. And so, yes, was I judging that couple? Totally. I totally was judging them. But they're just like all of us. For all of us, it is so hard to live right now. And what Jesus teaches us about prayer is that the present right now is where we meet God. We meet him in the present. He is with us in the present to meet our needs for today. It's an invitation to take one step at a time. That phrase that Jesus talked about, on earth as it is in heaven. What's he talking about here? That's the whole that is the that is the engine that drives this prayer. That is the heart of what Jesus is asking for. He's saying heaven, the space where God lives. We he is asking that that space meet earth, the space we live. He's saying, "God, I pray that your space would meet our space." And we can enter into that space in prayer. What Jesus is asking for, we experience through prayer. Listen to what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying, hey, earth is a really messed up place. Get me out of here. That's so important to pick up on. The the Lord's Prayer cries out from a world where there's no justice, Where there's no love, where there's no peace. This is what Jesus, when Jesus prays, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. He is saying, I am in a place where your kingdom has not yet broken in. I am in a place where your will isn't being done. Prayer is not a band-aid. Prayer does not pretend that everything is great when it's not. Prayer says this world is jacked up. This world hurts. This world is uncertain. And I cry out from the uncertainty. What am I crying out for? Am I crying out for escape? No. I'm crying out for renewal. I'm crying out, God, that, that your presence would seep into my presence, that the space where you live would overwhelm the space I live. And we call that act prayer. Prayer is asking for heaven on earth. Prayer is asking, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. You can supply a verb. Let it be on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is asking for this experience And it also does this experience. What prayer asks for, it does. Think about this for a second. When Jesus, how can Jesus pray, let it be on heaven or let it be as it is on heaven. Let it be on earth. How can he pray that? Because he is someone who lives in God's space and he himself has come into our space. He can pray that because he is that. And he is teaching us to follow him in this very painful, very broken world to ask for that, for renewal. Prayer is all about presence. Prayer is all about not creating God's presence, but asking to be more and more aware of his presence. How do we do that? How in the world, for those of us who live in a space where it's getting harder and harder just to be present with each other, how in the world are we supposed to be present with God? How can we do this? Well, I think there's four, based on this prayer, I think there's four habits that if you and I get involved with, we will start to do this. Four habits where we can cultivate presence with each other. And then it will be more natural for us to go into God's presence. If we're cultivating presence with each other, we can then more naturally be present with God. If, likewise, if we're not being present together, it's going to create habits and ruts that we fall into. And it's going to be very difficult to be present with God. So here are these four habits I think that we can pick up on to cultivate a presence. To be present in God's presence. Number one, here's what we can do. We need to practice being present by stating our expectations to others. Practice being present by stating our expectations to others. If it's hard to know what we need, it's even harder to tell others what we need. You've been in this situation before, so this is not from our imagination. I want you to imagine with me that you have a coworker. And you and this coworker have been given tasks and projects to do, right? And so you're taking this really seriously. You really want to do a good job. Uh, You're trying to do your best. Your coworker cuts out at three. They're never really pulling their weight. You're the one that's always doing things. You're, You're staying up late. You're answering emails. You're really working to get this project together. So it's a success. Meanwhile, your coworker couldn't care less. They're out. The problem in that situation was not that you had expectations. We all have expectations. When I first moved here, y'all had tons of expectations for me about what I was going to do. Lots of you told me those expectations, all right? We all have expectations for each other. That's just a natural, normal part of being a human being. The danger is that we don't state those expectations and we become bitter. Think back to your coworker. You never told them what you expected them on this project, and what happens? They just keep cutting out, and you're like, ugh, fine, I'll pick up the slack. I'll just do all this stuff. I'll keep hustling. I'll get it done. Meanwhile, you get the same pay, and you get the same amount of credit. People are congratulating that coworker for a job well done. Well, what happens to you? That bitterness you are feeling grows into resentment. So bitterness grows into resentment, and then what happens? Are you close with that coworker? Are you inviting them over to your house to like share your favorite Netflix shows with? No, you don't want anything to do with that person and you can't wait till they leave. And then what you really need is you need that coworker gone. If we state our expectations though, we are allowing ourselves to be honest, to be present in that situation. Instead of withdrawing, we can bring ourselves to the situation and it's hard. The reason it's so hard for us to state our expectations Is because there's risk involved in it. Like, oh, if, if, if I'm honest here, people, man, they may not, they may not, they may think I'm demanding. They may not like this. But here's the thing. You have those expectations already. Just stating them is an act of being present. Because the alternative is withdrawal. See, the reason I wanted to read verses seven and eight and not just the prayer today, is because when Jesus talks about how we're supposed to pray to the Father, he's holding up two types of prayer. He's saying, hey, don't pray like these pagans pray, who they just, they just babble, and they think they're going to be heard for their, their many words. Rather, start your prayers like this, our Father. You hear the difference? Uh, the word for, when it says, like, they think that they'll be heard, there's a word for heard. This one has a slightly different nuance. It has this idea of, like, They think, you can translate, this is like the Craig Living Translation. They think the gods will be moved by their babbling. They think that God will be moved because of how they approached prayer. It's an attempt to move the gods. And we know this is how people prayed, because in the city of Ephesus, there's a statue to Diana. She was a goddess people worshipped. And at the bottom of that statue, there's an inscription of a prayer. And it says something like this. It's like, oh, Diana, you're so great. You're so wonderful. We worship you. We love you. Please bless us. And if you don't like being called Diana, whatever you'd like to be called, that's totally cool. We'll call you whatever you want. Just help us. It's like, hey, we're not really sure who we're praying to. We're just throwing something out there. And we're going to really sound super godly here. And so maybe you'll be moved by how pious we are. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to pray like that. Here's how I want you to pray. Our father. Hear the confidence shift? Versus like uncertainty, versus like, please, I'll be what you need me to be, just give me what I need, to like, father. Intimacy. Being known. We can practice that presence, going into God's presence, by stating expectations, by being who we really are. And of course, when you state your expectations to your coworkers, qualifiers help. So I just, just if you're going to do this this week, I really just, hey, may I just, may I just tell you what I'm hoping happens here? Oh, yeah, sure. All right. You have full veto power to tell me if this is totally ridiculous, and maybe I'm being demanding, but hear me out. I would really like it if we split this project 50-50. I took care of these tasks. You took care of those tasks. How does that sound to you? That's what stating your expectations look like, and when you do that, you're bringing your whole self there. You're being, you're being present. And you're fighting back withdrawal. And when that's how we are with one another, it's easier to be present and state our expectations to God. Look, I have a lot of questions about prayer. I'm not up here because I know how prayer works. I've asked for a lot of things, a lot of good things, and it didn't turn out how I wanted to. And like I'm not putting the band-aid on it. I'm like, oh, well, God's just going to give you something better. Just hang on. I didn't feel that way. All right? I'm like, I asked for good things. They never came. Now what? I have questions. And so I have two options now when I'm faced at this fork in the road. I can either do this to God. Hey, God, everything's fine. It's totally cool. I'll just, I'll, I'll just make sense of this some other way. Or I can follow the psalmist's. You said, how long, Lord? God, are you asleep? Do you hear me when I talk to you? We can bring our whole selves and be honest. And we can experience God's presence. Because there aren't many alternatives when it comes to bringing your whole self. You can either bring your whole self or you don't go at all. And as we looked at last week, Jesus is saying, if you're not going to be honest, it's better that you don't pray. All right, second thing we can do. We can practice being present by taking a sensory walk. Now, doesn't that sound crazy? What's a sensory walk? Do, do they hand out Dianetics at the end of it? Like, what in the world, are you, what in the world is that? Uh, it sounded weird to me, too, the first time I heard it. But a sensory walk is when you take a walk and you do just that. You pay attention to your senses. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you smell? And you will learn that when you do this, you are training yourself to be present because you are totally living in the moment. All you're paying attention to, you're not worried about like, oh man, all these emails I have to write. Oh, like, did I forget to talk to them? I mean, I said this to someone that you're not living in the future. You're not living in the past. You're just paying attention to what's around you. Why am I emphasizing so much that we need to live in the present? It's because of what Jesus says here in verse 11. He says this Give us today our daily bread. We're going to spend a lot of time unpacking the Lord's Prayer because each line is just soaking with richness and with Old Testament allusions. And what Jesus is saying this of like, give us today our daily bread. The original audience, their minds would have gone back to one place, the Exodus. In the book of Numbers, the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel had left Egypt, they left slavery, they're headed into the promised land. How does God take care of them as they're wandering around the wilderness? Every single day, except for Sabbath, they wake up and this odd like bread-like white thing appears on the ground, and it's called manna. What does manna mean? It literally means, what is it? All right, so this thing, what is it, appears every day. And they were commanded, only take what you need for the day. See, when, when, when he's saying, give us today our daily bread, it's an invitation to worry about right now. To not live in the future where it's out of our control. To not be stuck in the past but to live right now. And the promise that Jesus is saying is that he meets us in the here and now. He says later in the sermon, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. That has enough concerns. Live right now. Live today. Worry about today. Today has needs. Tomorrow you can't control Focus on today. Because what did Israel learn again and again and again about manna? That God keeps showing up. And he shows up in the present. He shows up in the present. And so we need to train ourselves to live where he is. We are asking to experience renewal now. I just need you today. I have needs right now. God, I need you to show up and I need you to show up now. And he does. He doesn't show up with all the answers. Prayer as one theologian says like prayer is not about getting answers to questions. Actually, sometimes it's just about learning what questions to ask. But when we ask him to show up now, he does. And taking walks, being out in nature, reading God's other books, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And, and they do. And so when we're present, when we learn, we go into his presence. We can experience heaven on earth next only ask for today's need we're gonna only this week i want you to do this if you pray take it take one don't don't be like i'm gonna marathon it just baby steps all right so we're not trying to yo-yo here Of like oh i prayed for like a whole week an hour a day just take a baby step okay set aside five minutes right and just ask for today's needs. Yes. Are there real worries for tomorrow? Will you have enough money to retire? Will social security be there when you get there? I don't know. Okay. But right now, this week, we're just going to worry about today's needs. God, get me through today. Show up today. Show up today. We're not praying praying for 10 years from now. We're not praying that your kids call you when they're older. We're praying for right now. That you're present with your kids. And lastly, don't do this alone. Find a friend. Listen to the Lord's Prayer with these ears. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today, our daily bread. Notice he does not say this, my father in heaven, give me my bread. We are not in this alone. Road films, like you know road films where like people like set off on an adventure to find themselves, are often actually just buddy flicks, all right? So think of, like the Blues Brothers, Little Miss Sunshine, Bonnie and Clyde. Philosopher James K.A. Smith says that we often set out on a journey to find ourselves and we turn to someone and say, I'm off to find myself. Wanna come? We don't find ourselves alone. We find ourselves in community. We find ourselves with others. It's it is so hard, like it is so hard to see God working in our own lives. It is way easier to see evidences of grace in other people's lives. We're our toughest critic. We're like, God hasn't done anything in my life for decades. Hasn't showed up in a while and is not doing anything. Man, you, I see this. I see this. I see this. Okay? So here's what you do. Find a friend and just let them be that to you. You'll be that to them. They'll be that to you. And when you ask together, God, will you show up today? You each will see answers to that prayer from different sides. Don't do this alone. We weren't wired to be alone. I used to work at a bank, and I was a teller at this bank. And this guy used to come in all the time. It's like really old guy, and he had these like weird checks. You're wondering, do your do your tellers judge you based on your checks? They absolutely do. Um, But this guy had these checks, and I remember he'd come in like once a week, and they'd be like these lone wolf checks. And it was like there's strength in solitude. I love being by myself. The lone wolf eats the. Whatever, and I just remember like always, like you know, seeing this guy's checks and then looking at him, and he was miserable. He was just this hollow shell of a person because he thought like I'm gonna go out. I mean, I've read, I have no idea. I, I'm just reading a narrative on his life. He was like, I'm gonna go out and find myself by myself. I don't need anybody else. Oops. We are wired for relationship. We need other people. If other people didn't matter, being present wouldn't matter. Just hang it on your phone and do whatever. There's nobody else around. But we need other people. We find God because he put other people in our path. Another way to experience heaven on earth is not just through prayer, but it's through watching God show up in other people's lives. We need others. And... um. I just want to brag on you all for a second. Okay, so when I'm out and about, you know, around town, uh, you know, people ask me, oh, what do you do, right? What do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor at Compass. Do you know what the response— well, I'm afraid to ask this now, but just rhetorical. Do, just don't- do you know what the response I always get, like, almost, without fail, when I'm like, oh, yeah, I work at Compass. Do you know what people say? Do you know what people say when I'm like, oh, yeah, I work at Compass? They always, without fail, go, oh, my gosh. Suspense. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I love Compass Church. I've been there so many times. Y'all are so nice. Every time we go there, people just like meet us. They love us. That is such a welcoming church. To which I say, yeah, I've totally taught them how to do that. I've really just formed them to be very welcoming. They're just, yeah, you're welcome. No, I love bragging on you guys. I'm so proud of you. This is a super welcoming church. All right? I'm encouraging that, and I want to take it to the next level. Here's the next level, okay? What if the people you're welcoming are fellow pilgrims in your own road movie? All right? What if you are meeting someone who can help you follow Jesus? Here's what I'm asking you. What if you need that person you're meeting? All right? I want like you welcome, them. and if they don't put expectations on them, I'm not saying that, but like welcome them because you need them. Like really, like let's let's like crank it up to eleven the welcoming. Here's what I'm doing: I am taking away your permission to be offended if this ever happens. All right, you're sitting, you're you're waiting for the service to start, and someone comes up to you and says this. Oh hey, uh, my name's my name's Craig. What's your name? And you're like, excuse me, I have been here since you were in diapers. All right. <laughs> Don't ask me my name. I'm an important part of this. I'm a pillar in this community. All right. I am taking away your permission to be offended. Cause here's what happened when that just happened. Someone went out of their comfort zone, came to you and wanted to make sure that you felt seen. You have no right to be offended by that. All right. We're going to, we are welcoming. I'm not there. You guys are exceeding my expectations. We're going to just keep cranking it to 11. Let's keep looking for ways to be way more welcoming in this room. Let's, let's really own the fact that we really do believe we need other people. That I'm not just up here saying, my father, give me my needs, but I know people. I know their needs. We're not in this alone. And just what we do matters. How we present ourselves. If we're not welcoming, we're communicating something. So let's keep communicating that others matter. You may know the man in this picture. That's Leonard Bernstein. And that's his daughter, Jamie. Uh, Leonard Bernstein was well-regarded and loved in this country. He's a popular composer. Uh, And uh, in the 50s and 60s, CBS gave him a primetime slot where uh, he would teach kids about classical music. I grew up not in the 50s and 60s, and the school I went to still watched these videos about classical music being taught by Leonard Bernstein. He was just this larger-than-life character, super charismatic. People loved Leonard Bernstein. He was also an incredibly complicated person. Uh, Leonard Bernstein uh, had... A, a ton of affairs. Like there's just no way to sugarcoat it. He was promiscuous. All right. And so uh, some historians, when they were talking about Leonard Bernstein, and, and as they were traveling around, uh, they said that his traveling orchestra felt like the Rolling Stones, like tour bus, but with caviar. They said it was like this wildly just odd world. Uh, Leonard Bernstein, as you can imagine, uh, that creates a little. If you're not super faithful and your spouse expects you to be that can kind of create some friction at home and so there were lots of fights that Jamie grew up watching uh Leonard and his wife fighting Uh, there was one moment where uh Leonard Bernstein's wife made a prediction about him that he would die cold and alone but every time that Jamie went out with her dad she would, I mean, people would say wildly inappropriate things that like you shouldn't say to kids about, your dad's the craziest guy. Last week he did such and such. It really complicated their relationship. She held him in such high regard. And as she kept getting older, she kept learning all these different things about who is this man I call my dad. Further complicated, when she was a little kid, uh, she was practicing piano. She had a love for music just like he did. And he said to her, You'll never be a piano player. Complicated, right? So why, to this day, does Jamie Bernstein continue the work of her father and his legacy? She's trying to make sure that the Leonard Bernstein name stays alive and that people are educated through music. Why does she do that? She does that. She owns. She owns. Hey, it's complicated. My dad is a a mysterious person. But she also doesn't remember her dad growing up smelling like gin. She remembers when Leonard was home, the brown robe, the scruffy cheeks, not being shaved. She remembered the way he smelled. And this is what she says about her dad. My dad wasn't home often, but when he was home, he was home. I was the only person in the world for my dad. Now look, Leonard Bernstein, complicated. And if such a complicated person can transform another person through their presence, how much more does God's presence change things? Look, is this world messy? Yes. There's injustice all around us. Is there love, just love flow through the streets, even of Colombia? No. Prayer is not ignoring that. Prayer is not saying, hey, God, everything behind me, I, oh, it's messy, but I'm not going to look back there. I'm just going to focus on you. Prayer is saying, God, I need you to show up with me in this messy world. And I need you to show up today. And he does. We ask for his help in the present because that's where he is. He is in the present. And when we ask him to show up, he does. Jesus lives in the present. So should we. It's hard. It's not easy. Nothing, no rhythms of our lives are encouraging us to be more fully present. But when we learn to be present, he meets us there and he gives us what we need for today. Jesus, thank you for showing up. Father, thank you for giving us heaven on earth, the promise that we can experience renewal in the midst of a world that doesn't know justice, that doesn't know love, that doesn't know peace. Father, I pray that you would transform us as you meet us and that we would not do this alone. In Jesus' name, amen.